tune into But What If I Soar podcast. With your host, Dominique, licensed professional counselor and certified clinical trauma professional and owner of free to be counseling services, and Deveron, licensed social worker and certified life coach and owner of Social MacGyver. The thought-provoking podcast that explores the complexity of mental health through a lens that does not require a prescription. We will explore a wide range of topics with engaging discussions and personal anecdotes that provides a realistic outlook while actively engaging in our own self-discovery. Let's get ready to soar together. Hello, and welcome back to But What If I Soar with Dominique Flint and Devron Flint. I hope you had a good uh, two weeks away. We did a like a part one and part two um, for our last two podcasts about relationships with self. And mm-hmm. and so we hope that you enjoyed it. Um, we are going to just dive right in with highs and lows from the last few weeks. So I will start. Um, a huge high was we took a anniversary trip slash a family vacation for a couple of days. We went to um, Hershey Park um, and it was nice. It was really nice. So it's not that we haven't done family trips before, um, but you know, and this is kind of like my thing is like, he ain't going to remember that stuff. So <laughs> do I really need to, like, you know, do that? But you know, we, me and my husband usually um, try to find a place that we've never gone to. And for our anniversary, we try to go. And so we have like a lot of different trips coming up towards the end of the year. And so we were talking about, you know, we could go somewhere or maybe we could, you know, bring, bring our son with us and, and then um, make it like a family trip. So that's what we did. Um, And it was, it was so much fun. Um, My son is very, um, (laughs) he has a lot of energy, a lot of energy. Uh, and so he had such a good time at the water park portion and then riding rides. We went to the zoo. He really enjoyed that. So that was an, a, a nice high because, again, we can capture those moments. And, you know, when he gets a little bit older, we can remind him that we, we went to this trip. And, you know, and again, it was just a nice way for us to just enjoy ourselves as a family. So mm-hmm. um, it was it was a good time. Um, so that was a high a low. Um, I was having some difficulty kind of thinking about a low for the last few weeks. Um, and I guess the only thing that I came up with, um, it's not, and it's really not a low. Um, there's just a lot of moving parts in my life right now. Um, and one of the things that's been moving rather slow for me um, has been trying to get this website done. So I've been working with a company um, who shall remain nameless um, <laughs> about for 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 probably two months, um, and I just feel a bit frustrated with the process because for for for. A couple of different reasons, but the the biggest one I just feel like there's there's such a a missed opportunity for for them to kind of share with me all of the things that I need to do to help this process move forward. And I've asked several times, you know, what else do you need from me so that when the content and all of the 
you know, double checking and all the proofreading and all that stuff is done that, you know, launching the website doesn't have to take an extra certain amount of time. So a few mm-hmm. weeks ago we had a meeting um, and I was, again, I was asked, I asked, you know, how much longer will you all need? They said that, you know, by the end of July, first week of um, the, the end of the first week. So July 31st was like a Monday. I think the 8th was like, or the 4th was like a Friday, um, August 8th, August 4th. I said, we should be done by then. It should only take us a couple more days to launch everything. Cool. It is now August 20th, <laughs> you know? And so they got everything done. But then one of the, the, the pieces that they kept asking me about was the domain and the hosting site. And so I, again, am like, okay, what, what, what is that? Cause I'm like, and I don't, I'm not, I'm not a tech person. Mm-hmm. You have to talk to the, talk to me about this in layman's terms. Cause I don't really know what you're asking me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then all of a sudden they're like, oh, there's some miscommunication. I'm like, you know, you damn right there is because I <laughs> asked you two weeks ago what you needed from me yeah. and you didn't mention this because I would have yeah. had this two weeks ago so that when it came time to launch the website, you would have it. Exactly. You know what I mean? So yeah, there is a miscommunication. It's not on my part because I asked you. I yeah. said, we are behind two weeks. We are still behind. You know what I mean? We're we're still behind even after you gave me a date that this would be done. Mm-hmm. so and I was unfortunately I was doing a lot of this on the vacation because I you know I just needed to have some answers you know so they wanted to schedule a meeting on Friday and I'm like well I'm not going to be here so I'll look and you know I'll get back to you so I scheduled something for tomorrow during my lunch um and I I am just I'm just pissed about it because I, you know maybe the website wouldn't be jump-starting getting more clients, but it's possible that it it would, you know? And so the fact that there still seems to be a delay, it, it's almost like I want some of my money back because, yeah. you know what I mean? Because I feel like it shouldn't have taken this long. And if you, if you couldn't get it done by the date that you said you would, and this is like a second date. Like I understand that, that when you're creating content and you're creating a product that sometimes extensions have to happen. I understand that. Um, but being, telling me that you're going to be done on the fourth and then it's the 20th and you're still not done. That's like almost two and a half weeks, um, outside of the deadline that you gave me. Um, and then more things that you had already said, Hey, let me know what I can do to help this process move along. And now, you know, weeks after the due date they're now coming to you and saying hey we need this i definitely understand the frustration and i'm sorry that you're going through that um you know it's it sucks when you work with someone and you're reliant on them to do their part in order for you to move forward and continue on a project so that's why i used to hate (laughs) group projects in college man Cause you ain't getting a grade on my dime. Right. Right. It's like do your part, but you know, and not only that you hired someone, right? Like you hired them. You guys went into a contract with each other and you know, you are wanting them to do what they were hired for. So I think exactly. that it definitely makes sense to be, you know, pissed and upset that they're not adhering to the contract that you guys established. And I would be like, I want a discount. Like you're, Oh, I am trust to believe on Monday. I'm definitely going to be like, 
I want <laughs> I want some money back because I and I remember a few thing. weeks ago I had said, look, we we agreed on this price. I need to know that we're not going over this price, you know. Mm-hmm. And at the time they said, you know, we're not, you know, we're not, we're cool. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, because yeah. it's going to be a whole problem if we go over this price. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So no. we're going to see. We'll see. Well, but yeah, I- so that's me. Let me lock my door because I don't want my son to come in here. You know what I'm <laughs> so what about you? On your meeting on Monday. Um, so. I was thinking about this, some highs for me, um, I think just feeling like I'm making progress um, personally, I've had some some things that have taken place in my life and instead of being reactive, I have really like been able to see the work that I've done, you know, personally to take a moment, gather my thoughts. Um, check in with my support system, kind of process it out, not just let it be like an internal thing, and then respond in a, a way of how I want things to be received and not how I think it should be, you know, received. And so I've done very well in that. And I'm, I'm very happy with being able to see that, that progress. And not only that, my husband has, has made comments like, you know what? I really have seen the work that you've done because you used to be reactive. And now mm. the things that typically would have set you off don't. And even though you're frustrated, like you handle that frustration a lot differently than you did previously. And yeah. And I did talk to my therapist about this on Friday. And I was like, you know, one of the things that I think I'm really happy with is, you know, we all have like that inner child that, you know, is reactive to certain things that are triggering to us, especially if you've experienced trauma. And Mm -hmm. I can say firmly, I am not allowing my inner child to lead in a lot of situations that I previously would have, especially because it would be so easy to, to just like take off any type of accountability and just feel like I'm triggered. Devron, like the adult Devron, take a back seat and let inner child Devron react because, you know, she she's a beast. Like she knows how to protect herself. She has, you know, served me very well and gotten me through some very difficult times. Um, but I now, you know, for a while I've known that that's not the proper way to react, but I am now actually seeing it take place and actually in applying it of like, no, like adult Devron has this. I don't need that inner child to speak up. Like you have this, you just have to sit with it and it's uncomfortable and you don't like it, but like you have the tools and the skills to maneuver through this. And so I've been actually seeing that being applied and, and I can say like, it, it makes me feel good to be like, okay, the guy wasn't so reactive. Mm -hmm. Um, and I handled this very maturely. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's good. It's no, really inner, good. I mean, inner Devron be like, look, I'm ready. Like, <laughs> tap me in. <laughs> Not tap me in. <laughs> tap me in. Tap me in. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's so easy to allow that inner child to to lead, right? And I think when when we're more mindful and when we're more conscious of it is when we say okay you could lead in this moment but like is the process and the outcome going to be what you want if you let this inner child you know take the lead so I think that's that's growth that's good 
Yeah, thank you, thank you. And then I would say a low for me is um, having kids. So, you know, I, I think I've explained this before in previous podcasts. So I, me and my husband have been blessed to have my niece and my two nephews in our care and we're raising them. Um, and one of the struggles for me with that inner child again is anytime they go through some type of like life challenge or hardship, having to sit back and watch them learn through it is so challenging for me because I am like a mama bear. Like if I could wrap them in a bubble and protect them from everything, I would. If I could fight all their battles, I would. Um, if I could take away any hurt that they may experience, I would. Um, and knowing my limitations in that is so challenging for me because I am just a fighter by nature. Like I, I don't want my loved ones to hurt. I don't want them to go through, you know, any type of hardships, especially because I know what that is like. Um, and so I will say seeing them experience different things more recently, you know, my niece, we lost our grandfather who she was extremely close with, um, talked to him every day really looked at him like a father figure. Um, she has just had so many losses, you know, with my grandmother first and then my mother very suddenly and unexpectedly, then my uncle and now my grandfather. And then we also lost my dog, Dash. So it's yeah. just been like back-to-back losses. And she's getting ready to enter her senior year. And I just feel like She's amazing. She's like, she, and I'm not just saying that because she's my niece and I love her, but like for everything that she has experienced and went through, she is a straight A student. She is a wonderful child. She doesn't give us any type of issues. Um, Really, really good. But it's just one of those things where when you know someone is so good and so kind and just a wonderful kid, seeing them have to endure grief and at such a young age, when this is such a pivotal time, you know, she's looking into yeah. colleges and things. I just wish that I could take on all of those burdens to protect her, but I know that I can't. And I know that she will, this is her path. This is her journey and she'll learn something from it. I'm just not happy that it's her path and her journey. And yeah. I wish that there was more that I could do. I do give her, you know, guidance and I do talk about my own personal experience. And, you know, I have connected her with a great therapist who she has a wonderful relationship with and literally can check in anytime she's feeling uneasy or just needs to process things a little bit more. So I'm very happy about that. Um, but it's just one of those things where, you know, you just don't want your loved ones to experience true hardship. You just want to kind of protect them. So that was, I would say that is the low of, of not being able to keep them safeguarded from everything, knowing that there are things that are going to slip beyond me. And all I can do is support her while she figures out how she maneuvers through it is a challenge. Yeah, no, me. It's funny. Me and my husband were just having this conversation yesterday, um, and we'll kind of get into this in the episodes. Um, but yeah, it, it has to be challenging, right? I mean, when I think about you know being like a sixteen or seventeen or eighteen year old, I hadn't lost that many people, and 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 I I had lost at least one or two people who were extremely close to me, but 
you know, they weren't back to back and, it, it, you know, my, my life wasn't necessarily filled with just this kind of, you know, this aura of grief, you know, mm-hmm. like I had some relief in between some of those losses. And so I can definitely understand the the blow, emotional blow that, that, that could come with just those, those losses and not just losses, but like super extreme, uh, like kind of caregivers, if you will. Mm-hmm. And though, you know, that, that played a, a pivotal role in, in her life. Um, but that's the one thing that, you know, we often say that about kids, like kids are resilient. And I do think that there is something to that. Um, uh, but I also wonder, you know, are we like, placing this idea of resilience on kids like do they feel resilient you know or are we saying that they're resilient as a way to make us feel better for like the losses and the experience that they are going through like do they feel resilient or do they feel like I mean how do they feel you know that's always my 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 thought when we say that about kids you know Yeah. And I definitely think that that is a good question because I think, you know, even in being reflective with my friends about childhood experiences, you know, I have one of my best friends, she lost her mom when we were teenagers Mm -hmm. and it was very heavy. Like it was very, very heavy. There was a lot of things going on. And to this day, like we'll talk about it. I'm like, no one got us to a therapist. Like no one like was like, look, this is heavy. Like, you know, and her mom passed away from cancer. And so like, we saw her, you know, her whole journey. And it was a lot. I mean, and it was a lot for my friend. Um, And, you know, I just remember being at her service and just like, it was just so much. And, and just not unpacking that with any adults was very difficult. And mm-hmm. I think like, it's a good question that you actually kids are resilient, and we did make it through. But you're only as resilient as the tools that you have in your toolbox. And yep. we didn't have tools in our toolbox for that. A part of our resilience was us forgetting about it or doing other things to occupy our time. We really didn't process it. Yeah. Um, and I will say that having these discussions with my friends, we didn't handle it in the best way. Like we would do things to kind of keep it off our minds. And like, if you think about it as an adult, Typically, when you're trying to like replace bad or uncomfortable feelings, you generally, if you don't have good coping skills, you are trying to utilize any type of skills or any type of replacement, and it may not be the healthiest choices. So like, Mm -hmm. yeah, we were resilient in that we got through it, but the way that we got through it could have been a lot better. It could have been. Mm-hmm. I mean, I really think that we did not have the skills needed or tools needed to successfully get through it. Although mm-hmm. we were able to overcome it. If yeah. we could go back and change, I think that we would make some better decisions. So, you know, I mm-hmm. think that does need to be reevaluated. Like, yes, you can be resilient, but like, how are you being resilient, right? Like, yeah. how are you applying these tools? Do you even have tools? Or are you just replacing these uncomfortable feelings with something that's going to numb it and then can actually yeah. end up causing, you know, long-term problems or future problems for you? So I think, like, yeah. that's the important part of the discussion. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, I, I, and I think you're right. I mean, you know, 
do we have skills? Like when I, when, you know, as, as we get into today's topic, you know, we came up with, well, Devron came up with some really great questions and I'm going through these questions and I'm like, you know, some of this stuff, you know, wasn't necessarily actively, you know, indirectly taught to me as a kid, you know, some of these things that could have absolutely helped me kind of get through some of the more challenging experiences of my childhood, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and, and we'll get into, you know, what, what we come to from those experiences, but it's very true. You know, you, you're only as good, you're only as resilient as the coping skills you have. And, you know, how are we really arming our kids with those skills? You know, it's, it's a really good question. So. Well, now you just opened up the doors for the, <laughs> the episodes. I guess we should just jump in. And so, let me preface this by saying I did not grab tissue and I hope I don't need it. Because <laughs> I totally yeah. forgot. I hope I don't need it for this I episode. I didn't grab tissue either, but you know what? It is what it is, you know. It is, you know. I am a very sensitive person. I would be what you call a highly sensitive child if I was a child. (laughs) And so I am a highly sensitive adult and I own it because that is just who I am. So (laughs) look, hey, I'm all about owning it. And you know, Mm -hmm. you gotta cry, you gotta cry. It's better out than in. So Yes, yes. So uh, one of the things we want to start off with this, this episode is going to be about parents slash caregivers. And um, we, you know, I think one of the things I want to just kind of do as a disclaimer before we start is that this is all going to be coming from our own experiences. And we're going to be talking about how we view a situation. And although our loved ones or caregivers may not necessarily agree, you know, agree with all of the things, these are our own individual feelings. It does not discount our, you know, relationship or how we view them. It's just our own honesty. And with us being honest and being vulnerable, we're hoping that we can um, inspire others to be honest and vulnerable and explore their own individual relationships with their loved ones and caregivers and hopefully have dialogue to heal. I think that that's really what this series is about is being reflective, healing, and figuring out how do you move forward um, within these relationships and these roles. Um, And so I just want to kind of give that disclaimer um, in regards to this this episode because we are going to talk about some heavy things. And I just think that it's important to have that disclaimer. Yeah, agreed. And, and yeah. we're not saying anyone in these situations are bad or anything like that. This is just our truth. And I think that that's really important to discuss. Yeah, for sure. So we thought that to kind of start off that we could talk a little bit about attachment styles because, you know, att- <laughs> because attachment styles really are formed by your your caretakers and your, and your parents. So there's lots of research that's been done, um, highly successful research that have been done that have really talked a lot about attachment styles. And what they essentially say is that your attachment style to your caregiver kind of sets the stage for your attachment style with other adult relationships. And I'm laughing because we, we were just talking a little bit about like, um, 
which attachment style we think we are and how oftentimes, you know, it feels like it could switch um, depending on the circumstances. So um, again, and, 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 and the, this information isn't a substitute for talking with a professional about your attachment style. So just know that this is just some information. If you're interested, um, you know, I would encourage you to speak with a licensed professional um, about your attachment style. If that's something that you're interested in and you want to learn a little bit more about how that has impacted your childhood and then your adulthood and your other relationships. Um, so what they say is that the secure attachment is the most the, the the most beneficial, right? And and in childhood, your secure attachment um, is outlined by feeling emotional safety. It's about feeling validation, right? So receiving that validation from your parents or your caregivers, um, and and essentially getting that reassurance um, that you know can make you feel confident and secure in your relationships, and. Essentially, love is not withheld. Oftentimes, when you are in these dynamics with your parents, um, what can you know create these other attachment styles is that love is withheld. When you might engage in behaviors that don't support, you know, the boundaries that your parents have set up for you. So um, that, but but ultimately, the secure attachment is. You have love, you have reassurance, you have validation, and you have emotional safety. All the things that are really necessary um, into creating like a really solid uh, attachment. The next one is anxious. Uh, And anxious is essentially that in childhood, um, you had this inconsistency um, presented um, as it relates to your parents kind of really being attuned to your emotional needs. Um, and that lack of consistency caused you to not have security in your, your caretakers. Um, and so oftentimes that child might attempt to read the room, right? Read the, the, the caretaker's energy and then make adjustments to their environment based on that. Um, and so what you could get is like a people pleaser as an adult, right? I can kind of identify with that people pleasing behavior, trying to kind of read what's going on and, because I'm so, because you might be so consumed with that, that you really feel lost in terms of how you feel about your own wants, your own needs, because you're so kind of preoccupied with making sure that your environment is safe because you really don't have that sense of security and understanding from your, your caretaker. Um, So that's the anxious attachment. The avoidant attachment is like in childhood, you may have lacked um, that kind of connection with your caregiver because they were kind of forcing you to be hyper independent. Um, they may have shunned you from even, you know, um, seeking um, seeking a, a reassurance from them. Um, they may have uh, made you feel rejected. You know, as a, a the caretaker may have made you feel rejected, um, and then oftentimes that caretaker may have been slow to respond to your basic needs. So that's the the avoidant. And then what we call anxious avoidant or disorganized is essentially that a person in childhood may have experienced some kind of form of childhood trauma, um, neglect, abuse, um, you know. And so oftentimes that child is um, experiencing a lot of fear and a lot of um, rejection uh, from their caretaker. And that child might display some inconsistent behavior. Um, and their biggest challenge 
challenge is trust. Um, because a lot of the, um, you know, a, a huge component of the secure attachment, right, is that you trust your environment. You trust your your caretakers. You trust that they're going to take care of you. You trust that they're going to be present. And so with someone who maybe is experiencing um, a disorganized attachment, that lack of trust is is present because, you know, they may have experienced some kind of um, some type of compromised uh, experience where their trust was violated. Um, and so because of that, they may experience both, both avoidant and anxious. Um, so all of that to say that our relationships with our caretakers, our parents really help to set the stage for our attachment styles as adults. But I want to also say this, it doesn't mean that that attachment style cannot be changed, right? So you may have had this attachment um, style as a child, and then you go into your adult relationships, maybe exhibiting some of those same characteristics. Um, but with therapy and with learning about your attachment style and learning how to kind of reprogram your attachment style to be more secure, you can definitely create a more secure attachment as an adult. It just may take more time, more dedication, more commitment um, around doing so, but it's possible. Anything you want to add? Um, I would just say, you know, I definitely identify with the disorganized attachment style. Um, It's definitely something, you know, it makes sense. Um, you know, thank you for explaining so greatly what these different attachment styles may look like. Um, you know, especially with trauma, childhood trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that in prior episodes we talked about, you know, and I spoke about reading the room um, and kind of like matching, you know, what was my um what I thought the expectation was or what felt the most safe to me. And then Mm -hmm. wearing that mask to, you know, match whatever that situation was. And a lot of times that was because in prior situations, I did not feel safe. Right. And I think security is, is something that is big. Um, and knowing that I I identify with the disorganized attachment style, I have done a lot of work, you know, personally to work on that, but also to work on it for the children that I'm raising as well, because they have had some prior um, childhood trauma as well. So trying to make sure that I am giving them skills and, and creating an environment that does not um, continue to allow that to grow. Um, so that when they are adults, they don't have as much of a struggle as I have had um, to to address those attachment styles. I think is really important. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I would say there are moments when I identify with disorganized for sure, but I I think mostly I can identify with the anxious attachment. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes feeling, um you know, sometimes wanting that attachment, but then sometimes kind of refuting that attachment. Um, and also just having, having, having experienced my own, uh, childhood trauma as well. I I can definitely see a mixture of the avoidant at times, because I think sometimes when my sense of, um, security is compromised or when I feel a sense of rejection, my, 
my first thing is like, okay, I need to be up out of here. Like, how I get up out of here? <laughs> you know, like, I don't need this. Like, I figure it out, you know? And, and then there are times when I do want that attachment. I do want that intimacy, you know, mm-hmm. whether it's from my friends or my family, you know? So, so I definitely, but there are moments when I can immediately go to like, I'm out. Like, yeah. <laughs> how do I get up out of here? Like, what's the fastest way? to get up out of here, you know? And that's not necessarily, it's not good or bad. It's just me understanding that I'm triggered around something. And how do I tap back in and say, okay, like that's probably a little unreasonable. So like what, what's going on here? And like, how do we really figure out, you know, how to get you what you need so that you don't have that reaction, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's big though. Like, identifying what is triggering you Mm -hmm. and what is causing you to want to retreat and then trying to figure out using your adult skills of Mm -hmm. you're safe, right? Because I think that's the biggest thing. It's like this situation right here feels so unsafe to me. So I need to find a way to escape. And then like reminding yourself like, this is not the same as it was before, right? Mm-hmm. Something is triggering you and like we we need to acknowledge it and it's it's real. Like it's not like this invisible, you know, pretend monster, but like right. it's not as big as a monster as we thought it was. Mm-hmm. Or at least like one of the things that I try to remind myself is like, even if there is a monster, it's I'm not in the same tiny, like can't kind of fight for myself role that I was previously. And so like I have these skills and these tools to overcome this monster. So like, you Mm -hmm. know, like I have weapons or whatever. So um, stop, like, don't just try to retreat and hide. Like, you know, you can, you can face this. So I think like that's really good. And that has served me to kind of work on my attachment style. But I think it's, I think it's important to acknowledge and to be very clear about what your attachment style is, why Mm -hmm. it is the way it is, and then to know if you need to do some work to try and improve it. I think that that you always need to know like what the baseline is um, in order to know how you can then grow. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Having a baseline is important because again, you can't really grow from that, you know, if, if you're not aware of, of where you start. Um, mm-hmm. and I, and I also think the biggest thing for me is, as is having to remind myself, like, there's no shame in where you are, you know, there's no judgment around you being triggered by this thing, right. That at the end of the day, part of, part of, part of who you are is these experiences. And if you want a, uh, if you want better relationships, you know, how do we navigate that? You know, how do we, you know, help you get from point A to point B? Um, so just removing some of that shame that could be associated with um, those reactions, I think has been helpful for me. Yeah. I think that's the really big, like the shame of it, you know, um, okay. is definitely important. So now that we kind of identified where we feel, you know, we kind of lie with our attachment styles, want to jump into these questions. Ooh, here we go. Here so, we go. <laughs> the first question is, what's a pivotal childhood memory with your parents or caregivers that you now see as a source of guidance in your adult life? Ooh, okay. Jumping right in here. <laughs> So, you know, my mom was, um, she was very, um, open, 
right? And we could talk to my mom about anything. Like, she always used to say, like, I don't want you asking your stupid-ass friends because they don't know what they're talking about. Like, if you have a question, you ask me. You know, I don't care how, like, whatever it is, I'm not going to judge you. Mm-hmm. I, but I would prefer you come to me. Or if you don't want to come to me, there is other adults in your life who you can go to. Like, so she was very, very big on on that. And like, when I think back, um, you know, I have friends who have children and, you know, you know, they talk about their experiences with having these conversations with their parents. And I'm like, I don't have that experience because my mom, she was an open book, <laughs> you know, <laughs> she was just, she was, she was just very open about now. Now there were things that she wasn't open about, so we'll get we'll get to that. But but like for for the most part, like she was very open, and so she she gave me lots of lessons around like who to trust, how to trust, you know. And one of her biggest messages I think I took from some of these conversations was, you know make sure that you are in a position to protect yourself. You know, make sure that you are in a position that you're never, that you're never unsure. Right. So don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't be afraid. Like her, her, I feel like those were some of the messages that, that she was trying to prepare me for, Mm -hmm. Um, you know? And so in my adult life, I am, (laughs) I don't just take people's word for it. I'm always asking questions. I'm always trying to learn more, trying to seek more understanding, um, I don't necessarily just trust what people say, um, mm-hmm. because they said it, you know, I'm, I'm always just looking for more reasons to believe what they said. And it's not because I think that like, I am more knowledgeable than somebody else. I just think that it's important to be able to think critically. And I think that's what she was trying to teach me, you know, mm-hmm. is don't just take somebody's word for it because they said it, you know? Um, you know, ask questions. Don't be afraid to look silly because you don't know something, you know, and don't yeah. just trust what somebody is telling you um, because they may not feel the same love that I feel for you, you know, so they may not have that same care for you that I have for you, you know, or mm-hmm. that other people in your life who, you know, care about you do. So just, just be mindful of, of how your listening to people and how you're allowing them to be influenced in your life, you know? And, and I, I, I do appreciate that. I appreciate that she wasn't afraid to have these tough conversations. I mean, you talk about conversations about sex, conversations about, um, relationships. She would, you know, was very open about her experiences as a kid with her parents her experiences, like she all, and she used to always say, I don't, I don't remember what it was like being 16. Like as a kid, like there is so much validation in that because you oftentimes feel like these parents, these adults, they don't know what I'm going through. They don't get what I'm going through. And my mom used to always say, I know what it's like to be 16. You know what I mean? I, she never, and I think that's just so, it was so freeing that like I had a, a parent who Got it. You know, she may not have understood it to every degree, but she never acted like she was so far removed from that time in our life that she couldn't connect what I might be going through. And that is just, it's just such a a freeing, um, and it it makes you feel seen, you know what I mean? in, In a time where, you know, I worked as an adolescent therapist and oftentimes that was their biggest gripe is that parents don't get me. These adults don't understand me. They don't listen to me. And I'm not going to say she listened to the things that I felt, but she definitely 
made sure that she reminded me that I get what you're going through. I may not be 16 anymore. I may not be 17 anymore. I may not be 12, but I remember what it was like, you know, and Mm -hmm. there's just so much validation and so much, um, you know, there's just, there's so much support in that. So you don't feel like this adult, you know, superhuman person is just so far removed from your experiences that they can't, they can't relate to you, you know? Um, and so those were the messages. I think that if I, if I could think of one thing that I got as a kid that really guides me, uh, is that, and I hope to be that same kind of parent where my son doesn't feel like I'm so far removed from, cause I was a lot, a lot older when I had him than she was when she had me. So, but again, I hope that he doesn't feel, you know, that I'm like, so far removed from his experience that I can't relate to him and that I can't empathize with his experience and that I I can't see him for what he's going through. I I really think that that's something that I will, I will, I will keep that for sure as a, as a tool, as a parent, because you, you know, you, you, you oftentimes are trying to find ways to connect with your kids and it's not as hard as we make it. You know what I mean? Sometimes it's very, very simple. Um, So that would be something that I would say um, I got as a kid and that I would want to, you know, keep um, and, and utilize as as a parent now. I like that. I like that. What about you? Um, I think a memory that I had with my my mom and I would say my grandmother was just making sure that they expressed their love, and they weren't perfect at all, especially when my mom was actively in her addiction. Um, But when she was more clear-headed, one of the things my mom always made a point to do was, so my mom experienced a lot of childhood trauma herself, um, sexual and abuse, um, physical abuse. And so one of the things that she always would... um, try to ensure with us was our our safety. Now, she wasn't always great at that because <laughs> she was in her active addiction. But when yeah. she was like sober, um, she was hyper focused on it. And my mom was very affectionate too. And and one of the things that I have taken away from that is that my mom always tried to make sure she showed her love to people. Now, did she go to the extreme because, you know, again, she was dealing with her own internal things? Yes. But she always, you always knew where you stood with my mom. For anyone, you know, who talks about my mom, even people to this day will come up to me and share stories about my mom. And, you know, your mom always made me feel welcome, even when I wasn't, you know, doing the making the best decisions and things like that. And so that's something that she she just was, and she definitely tried to teach me and my sisters that. And so that is something that I do try to, to practice. Um, it's just like showing up for my loved ones and showing them with my actions, my love for them. Um, and, and knowing that you can make a mistake and we can have dialogue around it. We could talk about it, but like, I still love you. Like, and if you call me and you need something, I'm going to be there for you. Um, I have kind of tweaked it a little bit more because I do, you know, I have established boundaries, which my mom wasn't so great at having for herself um, because she didn't get 
that full love that she was always searching for. Her unlimited love was very like just messy and it sometimes looked like people were taking advantage of her and a lot of times with her showing love to other people she wasn't showing love to herself so i have yeah. taken that same type of viewpoint but i established boundaries like healthy boundaries for myself so i'm definitely big into showing others that i care about them and love them but i start with myself first and if something does not feel good to me i'll still love them, but at the limits that I have, right? I'm not going to overly extend myself. So I feel like that's a big lesson that I took away from my mom was just to love people and and to make sure you're showing your love. But I kind of tweaked it to make sure that it's healthy and it's not at a, um, where it's taken away from me because my mom oftentimes would be showing her love to other people and operating at a very low battery. Um, and then being like completely worn out. And that's just not something that I want to do. Um, <laughs> so I think I had to tweak it a little bit, but it was a very important lesson to just like leave people better than when you found them. You know, mm. I think that's something that I, I try to instill in my, in my life daily of just, you know, just giving someone just a little bit of something um, as long as it's where I can do it. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll read the next question. Um, so reflecting on generational differences, what's a piece of wisdom from your parents or caregiver that you've come to appreciate as you've grown older? Um, so this is gonna sound really bad, but one of the um generational uh, pieces of wisdom was just because they're your family does not mean you trust them. And um, I am very, very, very careful of when me and my household are around family. If my niece or nephew does not want to hug someone, they do not hug someone. They do not want to kiss someone. They do not kiss someone. Um they will greet you and say hello. But if that's where their boundary is, their limitation, that's where we're going to respect it. I don't care if you feel like my kids are disrespectful. I don't care if you feel like they need to go, you know, and do a little bit more. That's their limitation. That's their boundary. I'm very secure with that. And we're going to stand there and that's going to be the line. And I got that wisdom because my mom was sexually assaulted by family members. Um, you know, other people in my family have been assaulted by loved ones and people that they deem to be close to them. And so I am a very firm believer that just because they're your loved one, you're connected by blood, does not mean that they're safe. And so it is something that I am very firm in of if you have a gut reaction to something, I'm going to support you. I'm I'm not someone who says, oh, they're blood, so they're safe. No, we don't play that. Um, another generational wisdom thing that I learned from my mom was my mom was very hyper-focused on safety because of her safety being violated when she was a child. And so to this day, 
if we're out in public and my nephews need to go to the bathroom, if my husband cannot assist them and go, they come in the girls' bathroom with me. I don't care who has something to say about it. You can judge a mama. They're walking in the bathroom with me and they're going into the stall because the last thing I'm going to have is I allow them go to the bathroom by themselves. And someone thought that that was the time to take advantage of them because I will clear something completely out, like completely out. Girl, we know. Don't we know? (laughs) So that's something I got from my mom. And again, is it always correct? No. Was she hyper-focused because of her own safety being violated? Yes. But do we live in a world where things are unsafe? Yes. And Mm -hmm. hear about stories where someone went to the bathroom by themselves and they were assaulted. And so it is something that to ease my mind and to just assist a little bit more, I do try to put safety boundaries around my kids as much as possible. And so, yep, my nephews walk into the bathroom with me and they go into the woman's stall and they will go to the bathroom if my husband is not around to go to the bathroom with them because Mm -hmm. that's just what it's going to be. Yeah. So that is a generational thing that I have learned from my mom. And again, I know where it came from. I know why she was so hypersensitive about safety. Um, And it's something that I'm very hyper-focused about, you know, even with my niece, like if we're out in public, there are certain things that I'm letting my niece wear. And there's certain things that I'm not. My niece will not be walking around in a sports bra. I don't care. You can, you know, you may like your kid do that and things like that. I, however, know that not every adult is responsible. And there are people who take full advantage of situations. And, you know, I'm just very, very cautious about that. And that's something I learned from my mom. And yeah. that's something that, you know, I am hyper-focused on and it is what it is. <laughs> mm-hmm. What about you? Um, so interestingly, one of the generational um, differences that I got was family, right? So um, in a different way, like my grandmother, my maternal grandmother, um, she was super big on family. Um, I would say... Probably because, and I'm I'm assuming here, but she was born in Tiptonville, Tennessee, um, in the tw- in in the 1920s. She moved to the north, like a lot of people did during the migration in the 1940s. Um, she was married, but I think she was like maybe maybe 17 or 18. Like she was super young when she moved, um, and she didn't have family when she moved, you know, to to the north. Um, but she created family in the North, you know, whether it was her, her kids that she had and then their kids had kids, but then, you know, it's also like, you know, and, 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 and I don't know if this is in other cultures, so excuse me if, if I'm misspeaking, but in black culture, it's like when you, when your when your mom has a best friend, like that's your aunt and mm-hmm. her kids <laughs> is your cousins. Right. And that's kind of what my grandmother created, um, when she moved to the North, you know, she had a lot of she had quite a few um, women friends and then their kids, you know, called my mom and my aunts and uncles cousins. Um, and so, but one huge thing that she often did, always did was Sunday dinners every Sunday, whether you went to church or not, you knew after church 
12 31 o'clock you get to grandma's house you know and she's cooking a big dinner um you, you know you got you knew that if you didn't see your cousins during the week you knew on Sundays you was going to see your cousins at your grandma's house you know um and so I have so many memories of being at my grandmother's house cutting up with my cousins. It was a playground across the street. So we would always go to the playground and not even that I lived really close to my grandmother. I lived maybe a few blocks around the corner from my grandmother. So I was at her house and my grandfather's house every day. Um, during the week after school, my, my elementary school was right across the street. So I'd walk over after school. Um, you know, so I, a lot of my childhood memories are with my my grandma and my grandpa at their house, you know? Um, and one of the, like I said, one of the biggest memories was Sunday dinner. Um, but one of the things that she was really big on was photo albums. And like, I remember going to my grandmother's house every Sunday and getting the same photo albums every Sunday, just looking at the pictures. The women look so stylish. Yes. Um, and she captured so much about her, her life through these photo albums. Um, and so, you know, I think we've kind of gotten away from like physical photo albums because we have Facebook and we have Instagram and we have, um, you know, we have our cell phones that like, you know, can hold all of these pictures. Um, but I do actually want to get into, you know, printing pictures and putting them in a photo album because I just remember looking back on these pictures and just feeling like I was there, you know, just by just looking at these pictures, you know? Um, and I just felt like, and I don't know if I knew it at the time, but I felt so much connection to family members that I didn't even really know, you know, but I got to look at these pictures and I got to really capture what was going on and I felt so connected um and my grandmother was also she was like a a great storyteller too she would tell lots of stories um and I don't think I I don't think I appreciated it as much but as I got to be an adult um I definitely appreciated like her stories and so when I moved away um every time I would come home, like that's the first place I would go is like my grandma's mm-hmm. house. And she would tell a story. I mean, she was just such a great storyteller. Um, and so that's one of the things that I, I take with me. And so now having my own family, it's not as huge, you know, as my grandma's family, you know, back then they had lots of kids and yeah. that ain't happening over here. So, <laughs> but I do feel like, we have created community in that way. You know, that my husband likes to host. He likes to show people a good time. So anytime we can have a kickback at the house, a cookout, you know, it could be for a holiday. It could just be because it's a Tuesday. Like he, he just <laughs> likes to, he likes the host, you know what I mean? So the mayor. we oftentimes, li- I know, right? The mayor. <laughs> so we definitely tried to, um, you know, host here as much as we can. Um, and then create our own traditions that all always include family, but like we have an extended family. Now we have friends who have kids or, or even friends who don't, but like they're a part of our family too. So we try to engage, um, in that way. And I think as I get older, um, and like I said, last episode, I ain't old head, but (laughs) (laughs) as I get older though, um, I like, I want my son to experience those things, right? He's not going to experience it in the way that I did because, you know, I had lots of first cousins and lots of aunts and things like that. And so he's not going to have the exact same experience as me, but I do think that he, 
he will have an experience where he has a community of people who he know loves him, that support him, that he can, you know, learn from, that he can, you know, have fun with. And so recently we got together. So we were, you all were in town and, you know, me and my son drove down for the day and he just had like such a good time. Um, And it's like those moments that make me feel that like, that's what life is about. Life isn't necessarily about, the kind of job you have, the kind of car you drive. I mean, those things are important, but like family and just having those memories and being able to have those experiences at this point in my life seems to be most important to me. You know, I I don't, I won't act like the other stuff isn't important, but like if I ever get opportunity to give my son or myself an experience with family or close friends and good energy, like that's, that's what I want to do, you know? Um, And so that's definitely one thing that I I can say, I have tons and tons of memories of being at my grandmother's house. And, you know, and and it's funny because me and my cousin still joke and laugh about it now, you know, and it's my grandmother, you know, and and that's the other thing is that, you know, when, when the matriarchs and the patriarchs of your family pass away, sometimes those generational traditions pass on too, unfortunately, you know, and so we've definitely had talks in the family about trying to get together and have one big, like dinner again, you know, and, and again, I have a big family, so it's, it's, it's going to take a lot to do, but I do think that we owe it to my grandma who started it, started that tradition, you know, to, Mm -hmm. to find a way to, to do it. Even if it's like every other year or once a year during like a time of year where everybody's home, like it just would be nice to be able to do that again. Cause there's, like I said, so many good memories, um, you know, so family for me and just creating those traditions and being really intentional about those mm-hmm. traditions is something that I definitely want to take on. Yeah, I love that, though. Like, I think you do have to be intentional. And and like you said, you know, my grandmother had Sunday dinner and that was her way of like showing her love. My grandma mm-hmm. would literally cook and we even laugh about this to this day because there were certain foods that she made where, you know, one person didn't want you know, my grandma's Puerto Rican. So she would always make like, you know, beans and rice. And there was someone who didn't like a certain type of bean. So my grandma would literally cook like multiple meals to serve, you know, her grandkids and Mm -hmm. her her children. And it would be like, you know, she made potato salad. Well, I don't like, you know, this in a potato salad. So she'd make two different potato salads. And that was just her love language. But I remember, you know, Sunday dinners at my grandma's house. And now I just feel like sometimes we are so busy um, with life and we don't always make time for family. So I do like that you are, you know, being intentional of, look, when I have the opportunity to come together and just make, you know, good memories, that's what I'm going to do. And that's something that I definitely have been very intentional with, especially after, you know, my grandmother and my mom passed and then my uncle and now my grandfather um, of just being intentional of, look, if somebody is having something, I'm going to try my hardest to show up um, Mm -hmm. and be present. And, you know, even now with my husband, um, with his parents, you know, definitely making time to just show up. And, you know, when we went in town for my grandfather's um, service, we spent the weekend with his his father and his um, bonus mom. And we literally were just like, we just want to just spend time with you guys. And like, one of the things we like to do is play Monopoly deal. And (laughs) 
My husband's dad is a junk talker, right? Like he talks That's all he do. All he does. And whooped his butt. <laughs> that whole weekend. I can't yeah, wait till he see this. I can't wait for he's gonna be like, oh yes. But whooped his butt. But it was like I know when we go in town, like that's something that we make time to do. Like he'll be like, mm-hmm. you know, I don't want to, you guys have time to play, you know, a, a card game. And we, it's a big battle. Like we have a, a wrestling belt, like whoever's the winner of three games gets the wrestling belt. And we make time to play that. Like it's, it's very important for us to do that. And like, we also make time for the kids to play. It doesn't count towards the belt, but you know, he gives time for them to play too. And so like, it's just something that now we look forward to and we know, like, you know what? He really likes it. We make time. You know, my husband also makes time to play Madden when he's there with him. And I think it's just mm-hmm. so important to make time, no matter how busy you are, to make time for your loved ones. Because, again, you know, we have these fresh reminders that life can change so quickly. So. I love that you are trying to implement different things that your grandmother taught you into mm-hmm. your life. And I love a actual photo book. You know, I, one of the things that I do when someone's having a special occasion is I do make a photo album. My um, cousin just got married and for her bachelorette party. I made her a photo album because I think when you have like a physical reminder of these great memories and just like looking through them, it just invokes these different feelings and just makes you feel good. And I think that it's just so important to have those times of reflections and you can do it in your phone, but I just feel like having a physical thing, just so much different. And it is. It absolutely is. It's something that's important. My grandmother had a ton of photo albums and unfortunately they're lost. Um, My sister, had them and wasn't the best with it. Um, and so all of her voter albums were lost. And to this day, I think about it, it brings sadness because I just know how much of a memory we had being at her house on Sunday and looking through those photo albums. And like mm-hmm. you said, I think, you know, when you're reflective of the life before you even came with your family members and just seeing how stylish they were and, you know, yep. And hearing the stories that they could tell about, oh, I remember this. And when I wore mm-hmm. that outfit, it, you know, um, it just brings a whole different type of like reflection and just like, ah, oh, like, I just love it. Like, it just brings yep. great memories. So mm-hmm. I like that you, you talked about that. So the next question is, can you recall a time when you and your parents slash caregivers had differing views and how did that experience shape your ability to understand others? So this one, I have two different, two different stories. So two different memories. Um, So with my mom, we started off having the same ideas around, about around disciplining kids. You know, when I was a kid, you know, the messaging is always, you know, if you got a whooping, you earned it. And, you know, and so like, you know, you grow up believing that, right? You grow up believing that like this experience that you had um, was done because you did something to earn it, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't want to discount that kids do engage in behaviors that are can be problematic that can be um 
you know, that you want to try to shape shift. You want to shift those behaviors to something else. Right. Um, and so when I was a, when I was a kid, even as a young adult, before I had my son, um, I think I did, um, agree with that. You know, I think I did believe that, you know, if you got physical discipline that like, you know, got what you got, you know, you was out in them streets, you was doing something you had no business doing. Like that's what happens, you know? And it wasn't until I started to learn, and this is some nerd shit, I know, but it wasn't until I started to learn about the brain and how the brain is shifted and developed through those moments of abuse, because it is abuse. You know, I don't think that, you know, and it's complicated, right? Because I don't think that that means your parent doesn't love you. Now, somebody else might have a different perspective on that, right? But I don't necessarily think that, you know, having that as the form of discipline means that your 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 caregiver was attempting to abuse you. Like that was their intention. I don't think that that was the, as, as always the intention, but it is, right? And so whether you are, you know, doing it on a continuum where you're just tapping versus you got a stitching cord and you had to get in a tub and, you know, like, and again, I probably should have prefaced that by saying, you know, trigger warning because it is triggering for some people, right? That, that, that is people's experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it wasn't until I started to learn about the way that you could be stunted emotionally, right? By those experiences. Um, it wasn't until I learned, you know, about how the, the brain is developed and how it, can be stunted developmentally through those experiences. It wasn't even until I learned that you can acquire physical and other emotional diagnoses from those forms of abuse and discipline that I think I had a different perspective um, on it. And so I would say that, you know, when I started to, 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 to have these, this perspective, um, it wasn't necessarily difficult to have that perspective with my mom. While I do think that a lot of parents might feel some type of judgment around that. And I think, I think that she did. Um, but I I think, I think today she understands that it really isn't about her. And I think, I think what it taught me was that people are coming to this experience as a parent with the tools that they have, right? It's, it's almost like we talked about with resiliency, right? People are only as resilient as the tools they have, right? And my mother had tools that her mother gave her. And when I hear stories about the stuff that my grandma did, I'm like, I, I you know, and, and I know this is not to discount anybody's experience, but I do think that my mother was less harsh with me than her mother was with her. I think she was trying to do something different, Um, but you know, old habits die hard and there were some habits that she believed were necessary, you know? And I think if you ask her today, she might have a different perspective on that. She may have wished she would have done things differently, but again, you only come to these experiences with the tools you have. And so I don't have any ill feelings of her or ill feelings of what she chose to do. Um, I think that, you know, she was doing in her mind, she was doing the best that she could and she was doing what she knew how to do. Um, but we, we do have a different perspective on that. Like I, it's just physical discipline. It's just not something that I want to do with my own kid. I just, I just don't want to do that. And I try not to necessarily judge people because I used to think I would, you know? So I came to this understanding over time with 
uh, with knowledge that I didn't have before, with a perspective that I didn't have before. And I think working with juveniles as my in my first role outside of graduate school and just learning about all the things that they had gone through and that they ended up, you know, having all of these challenges. I think that was one of the things that kind of shifted my perspective on top of just learning more. And to be, to be fair, if I'm being fair to my mom's generation and her mom's generation, we now have 50, 60 years of evidence to suggest that this is harmful that they didn't have at that time. Right. And so I do think that it's possible that had they had that information, they may have made a different choice. Now, I don't know that to be true. And I just want to, I want to believe that I, I think that that would have made a difference because I think it has definitely made a difference for me. Um, and, you know, I, I don't want to send mixed messages because what it does is, is it does send mixed messages. You know, you're told don't fight in school, go tell the teacher, but you fight in me when I do something that you don't like, you know, it does, it's, it sends mi- mis- mixed messages. Um, and I just don't, want to do that. You know, I want to, and what I have learned, and this is something, this is maybe controversial, but I think a lot of parents don't want to admit that a lot of their outwardly frustration, it doesn't have anything to do with their kid. They are just internally frustrated. They are internally struggling to manage their own emotional tolerance. And they, and it feels, you know, you dispersing that energy, it feels good. You know, and you, and you don't have another way to manage your own emotions. You know, what I have learned in these short, almost four years of being a parent is that like when I can control myself, when I can manage my own internal struggles, I am a much, I'm much better capable of managing my son's whatever he's going through when he's going through what he's going through. You know, mm-hmm. it's the moments when I am struggling to manage my own emotions, to manage my own frustrations or to not take care of myself. And I understand that in some ways that is a privilege. You know, some parents don't have that knowledge, that understanding, and they don't have the space to do that. Um, or they don't think they do. And so for, for that situation, I think that what I've learned is that parents are just, they're doing the best that they can, but when you know better, you do better. Right. And I think my mom did better as it related to, to what she did when she was raising us because she did lots of things differently than, than her mom. And I think it's my duty, you know, knowing more about how to parent and knowing more about just the dynamics of secure attachments and like what you can do to damage that attachment with your kid. It's my job to do a little bit better. I know that it's not always everybody's cup of tea and everybody's not going to necessarily, um, you know, align with the way I want to parent. And that's, that's okay. You know, I I am totally okay with people having a different perspective than me. Um, and I think I'm okay. I think the, the, the discipline does rub me the wrong way, but aside from that, I think I am okay with parents doing what they think is in their kids' best interest. Um, but that's just something that I I just don't want to do. And so, um, you know, and, and again, I think that, if my mom could do it differently, I think she probably would. Um, with my dad, we have different different ideas about my upbringing, his absence of my upbringing, um, and ideas about why he was absent. Right, so like there's there's differences there, um, and I think what I've learned is, I think that 
people can have the same experience, right? We both were in this experience, right? Where I was the kid, he was a parent and he was absent, you know, for whatever reason. Um, and I think what I've learned is that people can be in the same experience and have a different perspective. Um, because I think his perspective on why he was absent was different. You know, for me, it was different. And, and so, um, it has taken, it's taken some, some work to just accept that again, like my mom, people do the best that they can with what they have. Mm-hmm. And I think, while I do believe I do, I did deserve more presence. I did deserve a more, a more consistent parent. I think that I also understand that he was coming to his role as a parent um, with you know, with the skills that he had and, you know, my, I don't believe he had all the skills necessary to be that present consistent father that I think he wanted to be. Um, and, you know, we've definitely had conversations since then about, um, you know, we, we've tried to have conversations through the years. And I think, um, recently we probably had the like the most honest conversation we've ever had about him being there and how I felt about it and you know and I think again and I don't know this to be true for him so I won't speak for him but I do think that there is a level of shame that people can feel when they wanted to do differently wanted to do better and they they didn't you know whereas I don't necessarily have any ill feelings about what he didn't do back then, because I have always taken the perspective as I got older was that I don't know how things would, I don't know that things would have been better with him there. You know, my perspective is always, maybe his absence was better for me. You know, maybe it was better for my siblings. So I've, I've over the years, I've always taken, I've taken that approach. I've taken, I've taken that mindset and not, had any ill feelings about it. Now there was a time when I was a little bit younger where I I did have some some feelings about it, but I don't think I did, you know, older in my life, you know. And so um I'm sure that there are things that I don't I still don't know about his experience, you know. Um and and I and I think that's probably the difference between my mom and my dad is that my mom is an open book and I know so much about her life, like her life, not her being my mom, but like mm-hmm. her life as a person, um, which I think is different. Um, I don't, I can't say that I, I have the same experience of knowing my dad that way. And that, and, and I'm hoping that's something that we can fix. I'm hoping that's something that we, and I, and I do think in some ways we have, um, grown in that way um you know there's things about him that i just recently learned and i'm like oh wow like i it, it you know and and this is the thing that i wish parents understood is that i do understand that parents want to create this separation right where they are the parent and you're the kid but the thing is you do you don't understand how much more relatable you become when your kid can like learn things about you that that help them make sense of who you are and helps them make sense of why you're showing up the way that you are. It doesn't excuse why you're showing up, but it does give them space to say, huh, okay. Like mm-hmm. I don't I don't fuck with it, but at least yeah. I get it. I get I get, I don't like it. 
Right, but it gives me clarity on the kind of person that you're br- you're bringing this person to this experience. It makes sense why you might be showing up that way. It doesn't make it okay, but it does give some context to who you are. Um, and that's just a level of intimacy and vulnerability that, you know, I think as parents, we have to get comfortable with. And I know that it's not easy because I'm still trying to figure that part out. Like, how much do you share? You know, how much do you reveal? But I do think that there is... There is something to be said about how that level of vulnerability can really strengthen your relationships with, you know, not just your kids, but, you know, or your parents, but anybody. Um, And so for him, um, I'm, I'm just choosing, I'm not, I'm, I'm choosing to not make excuses for him, but I'm just choosing to see the full picture and not be so stuck on, what he did or didn't do, but be, be more, more accepting that like he came to those experiences with not very, not with very little, you know, and, and, and just being more, being committed in this moment to like seeing how can I, what's my role in like creating a different relationship with him? You know, I do think that things have gotten better. Um, but I, I think it took a really honest conversation to do that, you know? So for all these years, you know, you, I think for all these years, I thought that I had this stronger relationship with him. And I realized that the piece that was missing was like the honesty and vulnerability, like, you know, and and it's so crazy because that you don't have a relationship without that, you know, you don't have a relationship without honesty and vulnerability. You don't have a relationship without, trust, you know? And so while I do think we had aspects of that, I don't think that it was, I think it could have, it could have, it could have been stronger. It could have definitely been better. And so that's kind of what I'm choosing. And this moment is, is not focusing on what he did or didn't do, but just focusing on the now and how we can just create something now, you know, that we both can be satisfied with. Yeah. And I like that because I think with that vulnerability and honesty, it allows you to fully see a person and be a little bit understanding. And I will (laughs) say with my mom and my dad, the thing about my mom was she lived all her mistakes with me there. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I knew my mom fully, right? I knew her as very imperfect. There were things that was very annoying to experience and probably should not have seen her fully. Um, But I was able to see her fully and it allowed me to get just how complex people can be. But Mm -hmm. it also gave me the ability to give her grace. Um, in that being imperfect with my father, because initially he was not very present in, in my younger childhood, when he would show up, my dad would always want to put his best foot forward. And a lot of times that didn't really correlate with what I needed. It was more so of what he thought we would want. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I always tell this story about how my dad had came to see us and him and my mom did not get along. They're like water and oil. And he came to pick us up 
And my dad was like someone who he had to go to the extreme. So he was going to show you he was the best father around. So he took us to Red Lobster, which, you know, he told my mom, put on their Sunday best, got us all dressed up, really cute, took us to Red Lobster. And one, he didn't ask my mom if we ate seafood, which he probably should have. Yeah. But if you've ever been to Red Lobster, so this is our first time going. And when you go to Red Lobster, I don't know if they still do this because I don't eat seafood, but you would go and you would pick your lobster out. Well, my special self thought we were picking out a pet. Oh, okay. I mean, I can see that. Yeah. Picked out the dang on lobster, named the lobster, was so excited to bring this lobster home. I don't know what I was going to do with this pet lobster, but I was so excited. (laughs) And then we got to the table and the lobster came out. It was devastated. Oh, my goodness. But it just points out to how my father had all these great intentions and you know he thought he was taking his daughters to this like nice restaurant and it did not go over because he was doing what he thought would make us happy and really it was just him being there we were happy Mm. to spend time with him yeah and then he ended up taking us to Dairy Queen which was like the best because who doesn't like ice cream but right it was just like you know again how much could have been learned if he just stopped to have a conversation and access what we wanted but also had a conversation with my mom and him and my mom have their differences and they just were not great at communicating and that impacted the children right um and for a long time i did not understand my father and we we're very similar and um he, my dad is very hard-headed and very stubborn and he his temper is very very bad but i kind of get my temper from my father so when he would kind of be stubborn and put his foot in the sand i would put my foot in the sand and so it was like button heads like mm. i'm not you a buck i'm a buck like and very combative and it wasn't until I tried to get a little bit more understanding about my father, which I thankfully got from my stepmom. She told me a little bit more about him. Um, and it helped me to see him in a different light and understanding of why he kind of was the way that he was and what he had experienced as a child. Because I had that understanding of my mom because she was very open and honest. And, you know, I knew all of the different trauma that she had experienced. But for my dad, he always would present as this macho man, you know, I knew him to be a hard worker. And oftentimes that hard worker was, you know, where he was constantly trying to establish himself and that would take him away from his family. Um, And I now understand why he worked so hard and why he was always trying to, you know, make himself into this businessman. Um, But at the time, because of not having that background content, I just thought like he was just doing anything to not be a father um, and fully be there. And he was saying like one thing, like he would say, there was a time where we went to go live with him and my stepmom. And he would say, we're going to have family dinner. And then we would have to be there. And it was like a requirement and all these other things. But then he wouldn't show up. And it was like, like, mm. come on, dude, like you're saying you want to have family dinner and you're not even showing up mm-hmm. but, because he'd be working. And and so like there was just like all these different things that kind of made sense. 
Um, and now my relationship with him is a lot different because there has been times when he's been a little bit more vulnerable. Is he at the same sense that my mom was vulnerable? No, not at all. But he has been a little bit more open with me about his experience. And it has allowed me to see that he is a complex person. Yeah. Perfect. And, you know, there's things about a relationship that still needs work. But I do know that my dad loves me. I do know that he will give me the world if he could. Um, His way of loving and showing love is just very different than what I may want it to look like. Um, And... That's just something that I'm I'm able to see him more clearer. So I will mm-hmm. say like that vulnerability aspect of your parents showing up is really important because it helps you to see them fully um, and know like, you know what, even if we want it to look a certain way, it may not look that way, but there's a reason behind that. And like, again, it doesn't excuse their behavior, um, right. you know, but it, it helps to make sense. And my dad, understands me because he knows like I am a firm person like if I love you I'm gonna stand for you like that's it and you know me and him have come to blows before like I know that sounds crazy but like (laughs) you know and like I said he draws his line in sand I've drawn my line in sand and the incident I'm referring to was in regards to my stepmom and me feeling like I needed to stand for her and protect her and even though in that situation, he was like, I can't believe like you punched me. Um, when he talks about it now, he's like, I'm kind of glad you did. Like you, you were standing up for your stepmom and you were saying like, I'm protecting her at all costs. Like yeah. you're, you are drawing the line. You come any closer and it's going to be a problem. And he's like, you know, I, I know how much you love her. And so, mm-hmm you know, I'm respectful of that. Like, I know why that was. It wasn't like you were just being disrespectful to your dad. You were protecting your loved one. Mm -hmm. Um, And even when my mom passed, even though knowing the complex relationship that they had, I called my dad and I was like, look, this something has happened. I need you to take your personal feelings, put them aside, and I need you to be my dad right now. I need you to be my dad right now because my world is falling apart. And I can say, even with all of his feelings about my mom, my dad put his personal feelings away and he showed up for me. Like he was like, what do you need from me? You never call me crying and upset. And there's been a couple of times where I've called my dad and I'm like, look, I don't need you to go and fight the world. I don't need you to, you know, be this hardhead Gerald. I need, Devron needs her dad. And this is what I need from you. And he has shown up. Like I have challenged him to show up and he has done that. And is it perfect? No, but like, I'm appreciative of that. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, I think giving people the opportunity, again, childhood Devron, there was times where I wanted him to show up and he didn't. Um, But adult Devron, we have such a better relationship because we're able to see each other in our imperfect stances. And we still butt heads like, you know, I'm stubborn, he's stubborn. And, you know, I, I have my boundaries, he has his boundaries. But like, we we see each other in such a different light. Um, and it makes it so much better um, to try to figure out, okay, how do we move forward? And, and, you know, not so focused on the past. So like, 
where we see each other now. And, and I think that yeah. that's definitely helpful, but his, his vulnerability and honesty has helped in that. And like mm-hmm. I said, my stepmom was a big, um, part of that is that she gave me some insight on what he had endured because he also endured um, abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse when he was a child um, that macho dad would never talk about. Um, and even yeah. when he talks about his childhood experience, he talks about it in a different way than my stepmom did. <laughs> but it has given me so much complex like content of like, that's why he reacts in that way. That's why this is triggering for him. That's why yeah. this person is showing up instead of the real father that I know. Um, yeah. so that has been helpful um, in, in maneuvering through that. And even with how he interacts with my si- my siblings, um, I understand why he's so triggered by certain things. Yeah. So I think mm-hmm. that, that vulnerability and honest honesty has helped in our relationship. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for tuning in and allowing us to be vulnerable together as we soar. If you enjoyed this episode and are interested in hearing more from us, make sure you hit that follow button so you are alerted when a new episode drops and leave a rating and a review below. Our podcast can be found on all major podcast platforms as well as YouTube. We'd love to hear your comments and how you're choosing to soar these next couple of weeks. Interact with us on Instagram at But What If I Soar as well as on our business pages at Free To Be Counseling Services and at Social MacGyver. Let's continue ascending or gliding even amongst the turbulence.